We are live. Welcome to another edition of our weekly uh, Lunch and Learn, where I have the fortunate opportunity to get to interview some of the top agents all across the country. And today I'm, I'm with Brett Sikora, who is based out of the New Jersey market. So we're going to learn a lot about what's been going on there, especially as uh, we always hear the different things that are happening in Manhattan and in New York. So I, I'm really curious to see uh, is is New Jersey impacted or people are going even further out? So we're going to learn a lot from Brett because he has a huge producing team. And so we're going to learn about how he got started and how he got to where he's at. Um, but before we begin, you know, if you're in the Bay Area, if you're renting right now or you're looking for a larger home, let's have a conversation. A lot of people are making these moves as we speak. People don't want to pay these very high rents in very expensive areas like San Francisco. So they're using that money to buy a place instead, especially given how uh, low interest rates are. But we want to get into the topic right from the get-go. Brett, thank you so much for attending. Love to hear about your journey. Uh, we'll talk about the local market in a moment, but please tell us about your journey. What did you do before becoming a realtor? And then uh, how long has it been? And, and we'll, I'll ask you about how you actually grew the team over time. Cool. Um, yeah, thanks for having me on the show, and I, I, you know, I appreciate being here. So I'll go. I'll go. I'm going to do a quick because we only have 30 minutes or maybe 45 minutes, but I'll do a real quick rapid fire, and then you could just kind of pause me if you get to a point of of, of my career where you want to slow down a little bit. Yeah. Um, so out of high school, graduated high school in 2004, sold my high school car to start a landscaping business. So I bought a truck, a trailer, that sort of thing. Three years later, I ended up selling that in uh, June of 2007 to start getting into real estate to invest. So I took the money. My thought was, hey, I'm going to go buy real estate. Everybody's flipping. It was the end of that that whole uh, you know tail end of things. And I was 21 years old. I, was, I, was, I could do anything I wanted to do. So I'm like, this is great. Decided, I uh, got my real estate license, decided not to buy anything, fortunately, at that point in time. Got a job with Foxton's, which I don't know if they were ever big uh, out by you, but they were here. It was a big Europe-based uh, business. And right when I was about to start you know, selling real estate for them, they filed for bankruptcy. So that was like the beginning of like, all right, cool, a little, little punch in the, in, in the chin there. I'm like, this isn't, you know, this isn't ideal. So from there, I ended up going to Weikert Realtors, which is a big uh, East Coast brand. Uh, um, you know, so I say mom pop kind of, I don't know if you have them out by you, uh, did one rental in a whole year and essentially blew through my savings. Um, credit got screwed up everything. Like it was at, I was at rock bottom. So I tell everybody that because I actually failed in this business one time. I left the business. I went into car sales from there in 2008. And I did that for three months starting July 5th, I think was my first day, July 5th, 2008. I don't know why I remember dates <laughs> through September, uh, and, 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 October of 2008. And that's when the Dow completely tanked. So the car business was actually still hanging on. The real estate market was already uh, shot prior to that. Um, and then the Dow just dropped like 5,000 points in one day in September of that October. Again, I'm, I think I was 21, 22 at the time. And I couldn't really understand what was going on, but I knew I had sales managers that are sitting there. You know, They were making 300 grand a year as you know, I had mentors in real estate making a ton of money. I had sales managers. I had people just really freaking out. And I'm reading off their energy going, well, this isn't good. You know, this isn't, this is not ideal. Um, so because of that in, in October, it was October 31st, it was Halloween of um, 2008. I found an ad on Craigslist. It said, Hey, come to Hoboken, New Jersey, which is right outside of Manhattan and make your first hundred thousand dollars a year doing only rentals. I was like, cool. I clicked wow. the ad. I went and met with them, uh, started, you know, a day or two after that. 
And that was a Friday. That Sunday, I did my first rental. So I'm like, cool. I made 700 bucks in like three days. And I'm like, let's let's start rolling. So fast forward, uh, I was doing a t- you know high volume of rentals. We were doing 20, 25 a month. I was actually making over 100 grand a year doing rentals until 2013 with some sales sprinkled in there. Uh, and again, I'm young. So I'm 20, 22, 23, 24, up to uh, 27 when I was, um, and it's funny how life events kind of trigger certain things. I met my who is now my wife, I met my girlfriend. So her name's Kara. And I started thinking about, I started thinking about life differently. You know, when you're, ma- when you're 23 years old and you're making 125 grand a year, that's cool. It, 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 it's easy to stay. That's a lot. As a single guy, it's a, that's a lot of money to go get drunk or like go to rent a shore house, whatever you want to do with your buddies. So that, that was fine. And it created complacency within me. Mm-hmm. 2013, when I met my wife, that's when I was like, you know what, let's start kicking this into high gear. I, I'm 27 now. I need to start taking life a little more seriously. So from there, that's when I started jumping into you know the much higher levels of income. I started investing in real estate. I started caring um, a lot more about my future. And after being on, on, a, uh, on, a, on a team that we kind of grew into a, a big team in 2016, I decided, you know what? Let me break off. Let me do this on my own and let me start the Sakura group. So from to, to, to just rapid fire through from 2016 to, to now in 2020 with COVID, essentially grew $100 million a year um, team in volume. So we're at, we have about 11 producing agents right now. Uh, we're, we're, we've, we have some others that we're training, hiring, that sort of thing on the back end. Um, but we run a pretty big machine with, you know, I think we have five staff and, and, um, and we crank. So that, that's like the, you know, Pour gasoline on it. How, <laughs> how I, how I got here thirteen years later. But if there's any pieces in there that you want to pick apart, I'm happy to take a deeper dive. Yeah, let's let's go at it. Like uh, when you were a solo producer, you were only doing rental still, like all the way up until you started to grow a team. Or was there a transition? Like when was that transition to get into the sales side? And then how long did you do that before you're like, you know what, I need to or I want to ramp up the scale side to uh, have a team. Yeah. So, so 2000, so prior to 2013, I would sell like two or three homes a year, 2013, I became a little more focused, um, and, and, you know, had the right mentors and coaches in my life. Mm-hmm. And I, I did a lot of rentals that year, but, but I added on nine sales. I, I remember it being nine the first year. Mm-hmm. And then I think it jumped to 24, maybe or 22 or something. And then I started transitioning out of the rental side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that, you know, then fast forward 2015, then I think it was like 40 and then, that's when we started, you know, growing the team from there. And how did you generate those leads? Was it actually the rentals that you actually helped from before, or is it? Or did you have a completely new process that? Yeah, so it was it was a combination. So I would actually say, if I, what I'm good at, I'm I'm good with database. Um, a lot of a lot of my friends, my family. Again, I talk about being 27. So that's when they started purchasing. I'd already been in the business for five years or so. Um, so I started getting a little noisy around that. And then I would say uh, internet lead conversion was was always my um, I was really good at that. So nice. um, and Fizbos, Fizbos was another thing. Was so you were calling Fizbos in, the, in that example as well and converting them. Yeah, I was good at taking for sale by owners. Um, I was I, I'm good if I can get in front of somebody. That that's kind of like the only thing. So whatever whatever that vehicle is going to be, whether I'm having drinks at a wedding with somebody or I'm having you know if I call Fizbo and if I can get my foot in the door or. I always said, um, you know, I know they with internet leads, they they're at least they used to teach. They've kind of changed it, but they're always like, um, 
you know, come meet at the office, do your presentation, get them to sign a, you know, exclusive buyer agency agreement. I've never had one of those signed period. Mm-hmm. And, and I've never really, I personally don't put too much value into them because if you look at them close, they can be terminated in writing with, you know, two days notice anyway. Right. But I went more of the, Hey, my buyer presentation is going to happen on the first property they want to view. I'm going to start building rapport in, in that moment. And it's funny because Zillow now has flipped over to that model. So they actually train on that side of things. Um, but yeah, that was, that was always my thing. It's like when the internet lead comes in, don't go through the whole prequel. Don't, don't, don't go heavily into that. Give them what they want. They want to see that one property. And when you're calling back to, to, you know, confirm that meeting, that's when you can take a, a little bit of a deeper dive. And then when you're with them, really start going deep and lock them in. Nice. Very good. And so then you, you were making, you're doing about 40 transactions a year. Like what was the average price point at that at that time, so in our area, um, our average price point is about seven eighty in, in in Hoboken. Uh, me personally, I always hovered around like six hundred or so. Okay, yeah, got it. And then, so what led you to, and what was your first hire? Actually, what what led you to say, hey, you know what, was it a capacity issue? Like it was just, you know, it's just a pure number of transactions, which is basically three or four a month, right? If you're doing forty, yeah, was it that reason, or was it? Hey, look, I, I want to do more. So I need to scale. Like, what was the mentality there? Yeah. So my goal uh, in growing the team, the decision behind it, it wasn't actually, it didn't come out of necessity. It came out of, um, so, so, so the, the growth on that side, it came out of me wanting to be out of production. So, you know, the, the goal is to always build a big machine where I'm not actually the one, you know, handling the clients and I'm coaching agents to become, you know, super successful, wealthy, profitable, that sort of thing. So my first hire was, shoot, I would say my sister actually helped me when I broke off from a team. So I was used to systems, Um, but my sister helped me quite a bit when I first came in. She was part-time, just kind of a part-time admin for me. And then I hired a full-time admin from there that like quickly failed. I had to fire her in three weeks. And, and and I also, uh, right around the same time, actually, it's probably before that fir- first time uh, full-time admin hire was um, Eric Oldfarb, who's my, he's now my team leader. Uh, he was, kind of came in as a buyer specialist. Uh, again, he was very young when he joined. I want to say he was 22 or 23. So we've always had like a younger team. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, he was my, he's still my right-hand man. He was, he was there with me back in 2016 when, when we were just trying to figure the whole thing out. And we've, we've figured a lot of it out together. He's been... Um, you know, a big part of that. And, and actually all, all, all the team, which everybody is partners, you know, we're all, I'm not smarter than anybody. I'm not, I'm not better than anybody. We're all figuring this out together um, because we're, we're going to, you know, levels that, that there aren't too many books written on and there aren't too many people that can coach on it. Mm-hmm. Very nice. So I'd love to get back into kind of the, the team aspect and how, mm-hmm you're retaining uh, individuals and that the value add, but let's talk about a little bit about the local market too. Yeah. Right. So um, let's talk about pre-shelter. Uh, so let's say, and I know, I know New York got locked down the most, I think out of, out of any, any area. So let's talk about like pre beginning of, b- before March, like what was the uh, real estate kind of industry like where you're at? Like, was it, you know, where, where were people wanting to buy that time? And then let's fast forward to now we're in uh, almost the end of July. What what has changed or where are people buying now? 
Yeah. So, so fortunately we cover a, a decent radius of, so if anybody's looking from Princeton, New Jersey, North, we essentially cover that on the New Jersey side of things, but I'm actually specifically based in, in Hoboken and Jersey city, which is kind of like the Brooklyn of, um, of, of the New Jersey side, Manhattan's right across the river. So we work with a lot of white collar, a lot of affluent people, similar to, you know, Bay area kind of, kind of client. Like that's, that's what we're, um, what we're used to. And prior to COVID we were, and COVID sucked, man. That was, <laughs> we were coming into this like firing. I mean, we yeah. were, we were ready to rip through 2020. Right. Um, so, so yeah, so everything was very, I would say it's healthy. It was balanced. We have, you know, sub markets that we work within the, the urban setting that we're in uh, Hoboken, downtown Jersey city. That was great. That was, that was taking off. And what really sucked for us um, or the core group specifically is the first place to shut down in the United States of America was Hoboken, New Jersey. We shut down a week before New York City. So really, that, that didn't catch any of the news wires at all. Yeah, yeah. well, I think I think I want to say San Francisco followed us, or one, oh, somebody. Interesting. Yeah, so we were we were. I remember sitting here, and it was you know early March or mid March, second week of March, and we're just like, wow. so. Can you can Florida maybe <laughs> shut down? Can like can somebody else do this too? Because I something about this is making me feel like we're going to be stuck here for a long period of time. Yeah, so we weren't allowed to you know drive cars on the road or anything. Like it was like you could leave to go grocery shopping, and that was it. And it was it was a it was a dreary time. But I will say, looking back, I I should have enjoyed that vacation a little bit more as opposed to trying to force income in a time where right. it really was not easy to to get deals to stick. So. Right. Um, we're still in a limping along um, state. And when I say, you know, limping along, we still put 34 properties on our contract in, in June. Like we're still, we're cranking, but it's not what it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. That said, it's still above what it was last year. So Good. as long as we, as long as we keep going um, in, in that way, and, and again, we're, we're in different markets. So you know, Monmouth County, which is the Jersey Shore area, uh, you know, the beaches, there is a ferry so people can commute to Manhattan if the time ever comes again. We have people going there. That was hot throughout the whole uh, process. And then and then suburban towns, too. So anybody that you had looking to eventually move maybe five years out from from an urban setting, it just accelerated that. My wife and I included. We've, we've you know, considered buying a house with a pool in the backyard. Um, and then the people who are staying in the urban setting are 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 just sizing up or getting something a little more comfortable that, that, you know, they can space out a little bit more with kids. Like here's, I'm in my second bedroom. That's this is my home office. I sit at a dresser all day. Like this is, <laughs> I wouldn't mind having a home office somewhere um, just to be a little more comfortable, but, but it works. Whereas some of my agents are, they're back in the office and they're doing that. I'm just not there yet. Interesting. And do you, what have you seen with, from a price and demand perspective? Cause there is a migration towards a bigger home. Yep. And what is the price point out in the Jersey Shore relative to where you're at? So let's go over that. And then what are you seeing from a price change over the months? Yeah. So anywhere within those areas, I mean, at least the towns we focus in, you're, you're sticking, you're similar, you know, you're 790, 700, like pretty competitive under a million. And then once you start to break over that, I'd say like 1.2 is, is most market starts to get into the luxury market. Um, so I'd say like the one, two north of that, 2 million, that's kind of, that's pretty slow right now. Um, in the urban setting, pricing's pretty much re- remain the same as long as you're a newer product and you're updated with nice, you know, finishes and whatnot. Hmm. Um, the demand has certainly dropped because we only have urban to urban moves right now, as opposed to prior to that, we'd have baby boomers kind of empty nesters coming back out this way. 
um, to live in more of a city setting, to be closer to Broadway shows, that sort of thing. And then interestingly enough, in the suburban markets where we have the single family homes that we're selling, there's a huge supply and demand issue, which has actually caused the pricing to go up. So I have, you know, consumers or buyers calling, hey, COVID's a great time to buy. I'm like, I don't think the media is relaying the data the way, the data the way that we're seeing it because I have clients you know getting smoked going 100 grand over asking on on six hundred thousand dollar properties so mm-hmm. there's a there's definitely a supply and demand issue in the suburban markets I think the reason being is you have a lot more of a of a family kind of thing within those homes and they can't just step out for showings it's not as easy and they also don't want to introduce the virus into their home so they're a little cautious of of actually getting people uh through the property i think there's also just the aspect of density right i mean i mean you think about how jersey or uh, manhattan is built it's just skyscrapers so mm-hmm. per lot you have many magnitudes right so even if it's a small percentage of those people move out the suburban lifestyle it's all like sprawled apart right everybody has a large lot so just from a pure migration perspective even if the supply is exactly the same or even higher that density of people coming out it's just no way that a, a suburban city could even handle it hence why it, it's it seems like it's extremely competitive yeah and it's funny too you have you know so if you come 30 minutes out of new york city i have those people now that are considering selling that and going another 30 minutes out because the only reason they were that close and paying that much is because they had to go to the city five days a week. Interesting. When that leaves the equation, it's people are kind of like, well, I don't want to go into a bar. I don't want to go into a restaurant. I don't want to be near a downtown. I'd rather be out in a rural setting where my kids can run around, you know, on two, two acres, three acres. And, and, and when you start to push further out in New Jersey, you, you really can, um, you know, if you've been in New York City, obviously that's that, or you fly into Newark, you see one one version of it. But you can really get into the mountains and into the sticks, um, and at a, at a super affordable price. So we're seeing that too as you get further out from the city. Interesting. What I also found interesting was your comment of the prices in the urban areas have not really been affected too much, even though inventory is a lot higher and there's a lot less demand. Why do you think that is? Are they just they don't really? need to sell like what's the mentality there yeah i think that when so and again i've lived unfortunately through the last uh crisis back in 2007 2008 i think what's happening right now is again working with the affluent people nobody needs to sell everybody can flip to rent they they've already bought a lot of them can buy their next home with you know for for 1.4 million dollars without having to sell the eight hundred thousand dollar condo in hoboken so Mm -hmm. because of that there's no sense of urgency and and even the 2007 market would never collapse if everybody held tight. Like if everybody said, Hey, I'm not selling, it's just always going to sit there. Like you can control that. And I think that's as a whole, what's happening in a lot of markets kind of everywhere where, where, you know, the first person that says, Hey, I got to go and and I'm going to list this 15% below what market is and just, you know, get me out of this property. When that trades, that's the new standard. That's the new comp. So um, fortunately nobody's doing that right now. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, San Francisco is similar. There's a lot more listings for sure. There's yeah. way less transactions. But when you when, when I look at the average sales price, it's or the median sales price, it's nothing has changed. It's really interesting. Um, now yeah. it just sits on the market for a long time. But yeah. but they don't they're not feeling the pressure to say you know what you know I I want to or I need to sell it, and they may actually still sell at that price, which is really interesting. 
It's a funny, it's like an absorption rate kind of thing. Like it's, it's, it'll sell. It's just taking longer. And, and the, it's funny. I'm, you know, we say to our sellers right now, I'm like, I can't, I always go by the, the, Hey, if we have no showings, no offers for 10% overpriced, we have no show or if we have showings and no offers we're 5% overpriced. And I'm literally saying to my sellers, I'm like, guys, I wouldn't just, just wait, just, just, if you can wait, just wait. If you really need to sell, let's do this. But if you can wait, just wait, because it's a little funky out there right now, specifically in the urban settings. And and it's a weird thing where we're getting like bidding wars 60 days on market. Like all of a sudden, two offers, three offers show up. And I'm like, where were you guys? <laughs> right. Why are you all trying to do this right now? It's almost like there's an emotional side or, or, or psychological side to to buyers where like when they see one go, right, then they want to hop in. I have so many clients that are like, well, let's see if they get offers over the week. And I'm like, why would you wait to see if they get offers? Why don't you put your offer in on Friday and be the one that put the offer in? Yeah. So I don't know, but yeah, yeah that's that, that it, it's it. You're absolutely right. It's like holding tight is a, uh, I cannot disagree with my clients right now. And patience is a, is a huge thing when you're in an urban setting. Very nice. And so what is um, the mindset for most buyers when they think of, okay, well, if they have a lot of money and they like the lifestyle, they'll, they'll live in Manhattan, right? But then you have all these cities all around. It could be on the east, it could be on the west where you're at, it could be north, it could be south, right? Like how do how are most people determining where it would be? Is there specifics on either of the sides that are of interest to them? Like what's how yeah. are people kind of deciding it? And are there people that say, you know what, I don't care. Either side is fine. Are there people like that too or not so much? Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, an example for a lot of people that I see is, is it's typically where the, where they're from or where the families um, are from. So they'll usually move to the side that their family is um, because you don't want to be commuting from Connecticut to New Jersey on Thanksgiving. So they'll typically that that drives it a lot. Uh, and then the other thing too, like if wherever you're going in that semicircle around, they're always playing around with the, the rail line. So it's, it, it, mm. it seems the train or, you know, if there's a ferry or something in, in regards to that, that's, that's what's driving the real estate prices because, you know, I just turned 34. So I, I consider myself young still, um, our age group, you know, pre COVID we're the ones that like get off the train. We want to have a beer. We want to meet our wife for dinner, that sort of thing. We'll, we'll, We'll stay out a little later, sleep in a little longer. That's and 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 because of that, we're willing to sacrifice size of home for um, for that lifestyle where we can go out to dinner. And then also, I have so many clients too. We're like, yeah, hey, I don't want to over leverage myself because I still want to go to Greece, you know, once a year, and I want to go here and I want to go there. So I think we're just set up a little bit differently than prior to that 2002 2003 wave where it was the the you know the baby boomers coming in that you know we're we're all about the 80s and flashy and let me get that big 8,000 square foot home that needs to be renovated now and nobody wants so <laughs> <laughs> very nice yeah. very interesting yeah and I, I made a i made a video recently just stating like millennials i mean we're i'm i'm similar age as yourself i mean we're just the millennial group goes all the way actually to 38 and yeah a lot of them are just you know now they're starting families and this like like your comment before of that kind of accelerating people from making that move now they're like you know what there's nothing to do in Manhattan in a sense anymore. I, there's no Broadway shows. There's no there's yeah. no clubs. There's no bars. Right, nothing's open. I'm also accelerate the yeah. settling down side of it, in which spurs a lot of activity. Totally, and that's yeah. funny that you bring that up too, because that's what I always, I always, and we're it's really helping us with COVID. Is is when we're on listing presentations, I'm like, guys, 
I'm, I'm your buyer. Like I am the guy that can relate to your buyer. And so is my whole team. So we're all, like I said, I'm, I'm 34. I'm, I'm the second oldest or third oldest on the team. The rest of them are all younger than me. So I'm like, if, if you want to be with the person that can actually relate with the person that's coming through the home, then, then we're your person, you know, and that's that. And we go tech heavy on the EXP side, all that stuff. But, um, but yeah, that's really helped us because we are, I tell them, I'm like that nobody's buying, nobody's buying 1.4 million in Chatham right now, other than like somebody like ourselves, anybody your age, or if it's an older person, I'm like, you're all running to Florida. You're going to South Carolina. You're getting the hell out of here. You don't want to go buy a bigger home in, in, in New Jersey and pay those property taxes. You're thinking about downsizing. So um, it's really helped us win a lot of business. That is interesting. And you mentioned you have 11 agents now. Um are you still accelerate accelerating on that? And because you cover such a large radius, like how do you have it divided? Are there those that are only in Jersey Shore? Like what's how is that set up? Yeah, so I so I have eleven that make up the main production of the team. But yeah, in regards to that, I, I actually have twenty two agents that have like sell with Sakura emails right now. So so we're you know we just hired I think three more last week. We're constantly looking for for more talent and. Uh, you know, and our minimum standard on the team is to sell 24 homes per year. So we like two, two per month per agent. So we're always looking for that next agent that's going to be doing that. And we really have some great ones that, that recently showed up in our life. So, um, yes, they're divided up into different sections. Some of them have some overlap, but like Tara Plaza, for instance, she's mainly the Jersey shore area. She's from that area. Um, Jason and James, they're mainly Bergen County. That's on the North side, like Alpine, nice, nice, you know, nice, nice area, nice town up there. Um, similar to a Greenwich, and, um, and then, yeah, there's, there's me, like I grew up in the Randolph section of, uh, uh, Morris County and I personally do more business out that way. So it, it, it just, like I said, it's, it's a full semicircle that comes around New York city on the New Jersey side. And yeah, we, we focus in with agents and, and if another agent wants to kind of start exploring a different area, we just tell them to buddy up with, with someone, you know, hyper local there, um, within the team. And, and that's how we've kind of scattered it out. We actually had issues like getting past, I think it's easier to, it's easier to do, you know, 30 million in five different sub markets than it is to do 150 million in one market. That was actually Brian Gubernick with, with uh, KW told me that maybe five years ago and it really resonated with me. Oh, interesting. So, oh, that, that is a very interesting thought process. Now, and when you're hiring new agents, are you trying to fill in different pockets that you feel like don't have as much presence or as long as they're good, you'll figure out a way to make it work? Like what's the thought process there? Yeah. So, so the, the, yeah, the, the, if the talent shows up, we'll take them anywhere. I will, I will get, you know, super dense in a certain area. I have no issues. We can figure out how to make them thrive on the back. And that's actually what I like doing. So uh-huh. yeah, that just creates a different problem for me and in, in a fun way. And, and um, it's never, I don't see any way that'd be an issue. We'll just, there's always going to be, you know, an agent that's doing better than the other one or something. So, so I'll, I'll piggyback two together where they can be helping each other get to that next level or one supporting the other one. Like we'll figure out, I'm good at mixing, maxing, you know, personality types and stuff like that too. So yeah, not, never, uh, never concerned about that. Got it. And as a group leader, how, how are you supporting your agents, right? I mean, your agents, I think they have two options, right? They can join a team and, and work with you guys or they can go off on their own and do their own thing. Right. Yeah. So how do you retain those people for them to not want to just start their own group or start their own brand? Like what are some value adds that you're, you're offering? Cause I think a lot of groups or a lot of people that are looking to start up teams will want to do that. Otherwise they could go off and do their own. 
Yeah. So I knock on wood. I've never lost an agent. Um, everybody's been with me uh, from the get. We've 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 let agents go, but um, I think that. So our value is coaching. Our value is staff that supports them, um, and our value is is systems on on that side of things. So, you know, we have we have 24, 24 year old agents making three hundred grand a year within our umbrella, and it's because I know that I know what I did wrong at twenty four. I know what I shouldn't have been doing. So I'm able to coach on that. And our value is: look, if you want to enjoy life more, you want to make more money. Like, don't care about what. You're like so many agents come in and like, oh, I don't want to give that split or I don't want to do this or I don't want to do that. And it's like, you should care what your freaking tax return says at the end of the year. Like, and also how much you work to get there. Like, are you, is your lifestyle easy? Do you have support? Do you have leverage? Or you want to be one of those crazy agents that to make that same 300 that, you know, some of our agents are making, you're running around doing a million different jobs because I've done that too. So I know how to not do that. Um, And a funny thing is I was on another, uh, I was on a, a, a mastermind earlier today with a lot of good agents. And I said to them, like, guys, I don't, I actually, so I re- obviously recruit DXP a lot too. And I have, I think, 370 something agents, um, you know, with us at this point. And I, I try not to recruit to my team. So it's actually the opposite. It's not like, I feel like people, people would rather give us a split and be a part of our family because we're rowing so well. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that I actually have to like, I forget, I think it was Tony out of Charleston. I can't think of his last name, mm-hmm. um, but he made, he, he had a really good analogy and he said, listen, come into my world at EXP. Um, and he was treating it like baseball. And he was like, listen, come into my world here. And when you can hit a 95 mile per hour fastball in the minors, we'll talk about getting you into the majors. My team is a major league team. No. Uh, and I thought that was a really good way of, of doing it uh, or, or of having that conversation. Cause it's like, show up, be coachable. I'm still, if you're in my umbrella and any of my agents, my downline that are on my team, I care about them like crazy too. They just have, it's just a different, you know, split structure, different, different life, but I'm still, you know, I'm picking up the phone, I'm in their family um, and and I'm coaching them right along as well. So, you know, if somebody says, I always say, Hey, listen, join, if you're not sure about it, join EXP first, and then let's talk about the team. Because if you flip flop a little bit, like kind of from the get that turns me off and, and makes me realize where I, I want the one that's just like showing up. We love new agents. I love agents that don't have bad habits yet. And they're just like, you know, wide eyed, like, yeah, this is great. <laughs> they don't know better. right? It's so cool. you them. <laughs> yeah. They're not like sitting around a, a water cooler at like, you know, century, I don't know, some old real estate company talking uh-huh. about the old days. So there's, yeah. a fun, there's a funny quote as well. You can be famous or you can be rich. Right, so yeah. that, that has something to do with it, right? You know, you may not have your own brand, and who cares? At the end of the yeah. day, you take home a lot more money than possibly you doing it on your own. So right? that's the funny part too. So many team leaders are like, everything has to go in my name, and everything is blah 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 blah. If you pull up any of my, it's it's all in their names. They they, I don't give, I don't care. I care about rich. <laughs> like I, I don't. There's zero ego into it. I'm like, I got guys. You, when we came to EXP, I said to the team, we're still called the Sakura Group. I'm like, guys, you want to change the name? You want to do it? like? I don't care because it doesn't mean anything. Right. You know, it, I mean, I'm a Mike Ferry agent, like at heart. So I'm always like, let's slam the phones, let's pick, let's talk, let's connect with people, let's help people. Um, I've never figured out like a branding play. Um, so that's why I don't care about brand. It doesn't mean anything to me. Um, we actually, when we were coming to EXP, took. We came from Keller Williams. We took Keller Williams out of our like listing presentation just because I was like, guys, it doesn't matter. Like, tell them you work for Banana Realty. It doesn't make a difference. You know? <laughs> they're, they're listing with what you're saying and the confidence you have behind it. 
Uh huh. So, and, and what what are some of your growth plans? Like, can you walk me through the production levels of the last, let's say, couple of years, especially as you grew the team? And if you can also share um, some of the lessons you personally learned as you, you know, started off. Just it's not it hasn't been long. It's only been four years with maybe one hire. Or, or can you walk us through like that progression and and even now, like, what are the things that you thought you knew before running a team that was completely different once you're actually in the weeds doing it or was it just a kind of a small iterations over time? Yeah. I mean, so, so uh, just to give you a quick, like the, the first question, I think we went from, I think it's like 15 million to 29 million to, to 46 million to 85 million. So the 46 to 85 was at EXP last year. Wow. Um, and then now we're pushing over hundred. We want to do 200 million this year, but uh, COVID again, we'll do better than last year, but we, we COVID screwing us up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and in regards to that, I would say, whew, I see, you know, like if I could go back in time, um, you know, tra- I think a lot of people throw money at problems. Let's put it that way. When money's coming in, they'll throw money to solve a problem. And, and we're, and we're, you know, I have a really great coach, coach Kelly. Um, we're constantly working, you know, with the profit loss, tracking return on investment, um, figuring out where the deals are from coaching through that, you know, it's, it's funny how like an agent will pay, you know, some agents in my market, they're paying $30,000 a month for Zillow. And I guess, you know, that's, that's fine if you're a single agent, because you, you could probably pretty easily make, you know, sell three homes and you're making 60 grand a month that works. But when you bring it into a team model, it's very difficult in my opinion to stay profitable on that. And there's a lot of coaching that, has to go in to the agents to convert those leads. So, um, you know, we, we really try to focus more on database, on parties, shooting bomb bomb videos out to people, like really connecting, um, with people going through wishing everybody a happy birthday on their phone via video and holding them accountability to that cold calling through neighborhoods, like the stuff that, um, even for the agent is, it becomes way more duplicatable as opposed to, you know, trading $10,000 for $10,000. Um, mm-hmm. And I see so many people do that. I also tell agents all the time too, like, listen, I'm not, we have leads. Leads come in all the time. Don't join me because you want leads. That That's the wrong reason to come into my world. Join me because you want to kick in some freaking doors and like prove everybody wrong and light the world on fire. Um, we're good at that. As 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 a result of that, Yes, we have inbound leads, and and but if you're not lighting the world on fire, you're not the person I want to give the leads to either. So if you're just looking for leads, go join Joe Schmo's team, and I can name you know others in our area that that that's all they'll do. So I'll I'll literally drop drop the name of of that. I'm like go go do that, you know. And then that way, when you make a couple bucks, you go out, you pay for your own leads, and that's and you're just going to be down this vicious cycle that when I'm coaching agents that are doing fifty million a year and they can't figure out how to break through to that next ceiling. It's because they relied on paying leads for so long and that's not scalable. The only way to scale a Zillow based business or a Trulia based realtor, whatever, a, a business that costs that much money is to spend more money. And then when COVID hits, you're screwed because Zillow giving you a 50% discount is not actually a 50% discount. It's them giving you probably 60% less leads and then charging you 10% more than you should get charged. Mm-hmm. So when, be careful with that. That's as people are growing teams, give value around 
your systems, give value around your coaching, give value around your incredible staff. Don't underhire, overhire, hire people that <clears throat> like Jason Joseph, I hired him as my ops manager and he was coming from, you know, it was maybe two years ago or so he was coming from corporate America, quit high earning corporate America guy quit, came into my world. And that hire made me think this guy's going to screw me over. This guy has a different motive. This guy, this, the, you know, like if, if, if you're afraid of like, this guy's too talented for me, hire that person because it's going to make you become a better version of yourself to keep that person. People under hire out of complacency, I feel like. I think, I think there's, a, there's several things I'll add to that, right? So you mentioned you don't want to hire, you don't want to be the smartest person in the room, right? You try to hire people that are better because there's other things that you can add in value, not maybe of what, he may be the best operator so, and there's no way you can be at that level anyways. Right. But there's other things you can add to add as part of the value of, of have him being on the team. Yep. And I think you also brought something interesting too, is the, the people that are in your team are not those that are looking for handouts or looking for um, just someone to feed them leads, right? You're, you're giving them the training so that they can hunt for themselves. But because of that uh, process and that experience, they will be happy to give you whatever split because it helps accelerate their growth, right? Much faster. Otherwise, they're going to have to learn it on their own and and go through those those um, growing pains. Yep. Uh, you are basically solving for them. And also, it sounds like you're just really they're just focused on the business, right? right. Of buying and selling homes because there's all this other stuff that is part of it. That's um, it's a it's a necessary evil, whether it's paperwork and all <laughs> these other things. Right. Sorry, evil, but that's not the core job of a, uh, you know, of a high producing realtor. So that's kind of what I got out of that. And that's, that's awesome. And you've been able to grow the team and, and, and it sounds like it worked really well because back to that loyalty aspect, like people haven't left because they want to keep getting, they want to get to the next level. Right. So they want the new training, the new coaching, and it keeps changing too. Right. You never learn enough. Just like you have your own coaches. There's, there's infinite things you can learn and the things yep. are always changing. Yeah. But you know, if you were in a, in a model where you were feeding leads and the leads may have dried up, you know, at least for some time in the last couple of months, uh, I think a lot of people may have lost. A lot of people had to let a lot of people go. Um, if that yeah. was how it was organized. So yeah. We, we went in and we went in and started recruiting for our team in the heart of COVID because I didn't have anything else to do. I figured let's go, call, let's call a bunch of realtors and you know, I had a couple of team leaders calling me and I'm like, they're like, no, dude, come on. You can't do that to me right now. You can't. And I said, listen, dude, this is my job. This is what I'm supposed to do. I have to worry about me. Send me a list of your people. I'll take them off the list because I don't care. Mm -hmm. But call my people right now. They're not leaving. You know, so the fact that like you're you're you have people for the wrong reason. I think it it really opened up like a vulnerability where where, you know, people were freaking out. And All right. I don't think, I mean, I hit it every now and then I'd be kind of like, ah, crap, what am I going to do? Is this going to go away anytime soon? And, and, but you know, we weren't calling when we were fully shut down. We were calling when we were able to, to, to get out and about. So yeah, that's, that's absolutely like when, when your values, Hey, I'm paying $20,000 a month for, for leads to give to these agents. And then that dries up. You're, you're worthless. It's kind of like the, <laughs> it's kind of like the uh, non EXP model too. It's like, Oh, you can't use your office. All right. Well, what are you paying for now? Oh, your team leader got laid off. Oh, that, you know, like, well, why are you, why do you pay that giant split when you don't have the trainings that you guys, you know, right. ran your mouth about right. <laughs> and, and now you're, Oh, you're virtual now. Okay. Maybe you should look at EXP. 
Right. No, it is very interesting, right? Like, uh, you know, I joined EXP not long ago, maybe seven months ago uh, from Keller Williams as well. And, and they were claiming there was a benefit of, of having an office potentially, right, in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, but now there's no office. So it's like, yeah. why am I paying for this desk or why am I getting charged a desk fee? Yeah. Uh, so I can put some mailers that can go to that address. I'm not sure. Um, and- but, but there's an inherent problem right now. Sure. Yeah, and I love KW. Like, I feel like they're they're at least one of the leaner models that does it does it pretty well. But yeah, I, I found that interesting when like you 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 know you look at a compass or something, and they're they're recruiting agents on the marketing team and blah 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 blah, and then and then you switch over and they furloughed the marketing team, and you're like, uh, <laughs> okay. So I don't know. It's it's it just I, I like to laugh about things like that. Yeah. We're just pointing things that are public information. Anyway. Yeah. So it, it was, it was kind of cool that like, I never, I never thought that EXP was going to be, um, or, or that a pandemic was going to be the reason that EXP made a lot of sense, but we certainly uh, thrived through it when it came, came to the uh, people coming and joining our, our systems. That's right. Very good. Well, no, thank you so much for sharing. Just, I mean, it's incredible of to hear the journey of where you started and, you know, you know, you're the same age as me and you have a mega team already. So it's, uh, I, I have a lot to do to catch up on that front, but it's, it's pretty amazing um, to be able to hear that thought process of how you got to where you're at and, and still growing the team and, and how you're adding value. And you're absolutely right. The really fun part about this is, you know, even though the average age of a, a homeowner is, is that they're actually potentially selling our fifties and maybe sixties, just in general, they want to, you know, retire or, or go somewhere else. Um, but the majority of people that are moving in are millennials. So we can't poo-poo them as much saying yeah. they don't have any money. They certainly have money. It's it's a matter of whether they want to buy a house or not. So the reality is the new uh, homeowners are, are people, you know, that are starting families. Yep. So it, it's really, it's really interesting to hear that. Like you're the second oldest, even from your own team, because the average age of realtors is significantly older. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's really interesting and a really interesting approach. And clearly you have you have it going on. You know, how can people get a hold of you? I, I know uh, you, you provide a lot of value in all sorts of different ways. Like how can people get in touch? Maybe they can follow you passively as well. Yeah, I would say that's my Instagram handle at, uh, you know, Brett Sick. Um, just DM me, follow me. Um, I'll follow back, that sort of thing. And and uh, yeah, reach out. Friend request me on Facebook. Um, you know, I'm a, you're, you're like, that's actually like a... Like we crank and go look at my Instagram. It's like the worst thing ever. So <laughs> it's like there's so many things I'm not good at, and I know I'm not good at that. Or like go look at my Facebook. I'm like joking about mullets all day, and then also, you know, right in the middle, it's like you know mullet jab, mullet jab, and then it's like, oh yeah, we you know we finished number one in the state. You know, so we, we like, I'm in backwards hat. I'm like we like to have fun. You know, it's and and I feel like the clients, um, you know, appreciate that. So. That's awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you everyone else for tuning in and I'll see you at the next one. Bye now. Thank you so much for making it to the very end of my podcast. If you are tired of renting in the Bay Area, are a homeowner looking to do a trade up for a bigger home or are a real estate investor, I would love to connect. Click on the Calendly link and let's set up a time to talk. It's never too early to talk about options and to work out a game plan. I also do have an email newsletter, so sign up on the link in the show notes or you're welcome to watch all of my content on YouTube. See you at the next one.